0: Interfaith Talk Radio, being brought to you by Dr. Pat Worldwide on Alternative Talk 1150 AM and streaming on the Internet Worldwide at interfaithtalkradio.com. We are sharing an expanding dialogue on interfaith understanding and the quest for spirituality. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor, However, the Christian pastor is at a retreat with the other ministers at his church. So, I am the rabbi. I am Rabbi Ted Falcon of the Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue.
1: And I'm here in person. I am Brother Jamal Rahman of Interfaith Community Church.
0: And we are here every Friday from... Actually, that's not so. We are here every Monday. Um, we're at Beit Aleph every other Friday, first and third Fridays, but we are on this show every Monday from 5 to 6 p.m., inviting you to join us, and if anybody would like to write down the phone number, uh, you can reach us while we're on the air at 425-373-5527, 425-373-5527, or in Western Washington, toll-free, 888-298-5569. And please remember, you can always find more information about us, as well as share your comments, questions, and any topics you'd like us to cover by visiting us at our website, interfaithtalkradio.com. So welcome this evening, our basic topic is suffering and I feel like I have entered into that space having spent an hour and a half on the roads. For those of you who might be listening to this not in Seattle, um, although we are known for rain, the rain we're known for is really a gentler rain and we're having a somewhat
1: less than gentle rain. And I'm from Bangladesh originally, and we have, of course, this heavy downpour for an extended period, the monsoons. Right. So this is uh, very nostalgic. So are things built there so that they can withstand it, or... Like the arc, you mean? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To have an escape. People people really get used to it, Uh and they carry on their daily life in that downpour. They don't suffer. Well, you always wonder, you know, people like to build near water, Uh
0: so people find a nice site and somebody will say well you know when the floods come they wash out that area but people say no it's so beautiful I wanna I wanna be there it's the same thing with people building at the edge of a cliff like in Southern California ah, a lot yes. of people to see the ocean right and you say this is not stable ground Oh, but it's so beautiful
1: and it can be so uh, difficult for example in Bangladesh as you probably know when it floods it really affects uh, hundreds and thousands of people. Right. So the
0: people then uh-huh. who, are, who built in those areas, uh-huh. they do get
1: flooded out. Oh, yes, yes. And Bangladesh is a very low land. And everybody competes for the same high ground, including right. animals, including poisonous right. snakes. Sure. And that's a problem. Sure. Suffering. So some of the suffering
0: is is self-imposed, you know, in that we choose to do certain things we choose to live certain places where there are certain risks yes.
1: and then when it happens uh-huh. we go why is this happening to me except that in bangladesh it's for reasons of poverty ah. they have no choice for the example over here it's the opposite yes. because the people it costs more money to live in <laughs> yes. the dangerous yes. places by the way, water no, there, it's, it's flat land but the ones who are very poor just have no choice but they live in those areas and especially uh, sometimes in the uh, areas where uh, terrible cyclones occur, mm-hmm. by the water, by the sea. And they again, because of the lack of space, build homes there, live there. And of course, Bangladesh is the world's most congested country right. in terms of space. But
0: you have often
1: said that Bangladesh, in Bangladesh people are essentially happy. You know, I was just even this this uh, morning or afternoon in a seminar and I was talking about this incredible survey 8 years ago by the universities of Oxford and Cambridge going all over the world trying to find out in which country are people the most content. Hmm. And it was Bangladesh, which was a remarkable. So what do <laughs> you make of that? Well, they said it's because the people have become so practiced in learning the art of gratitude of being grateful. They suffer And they have learned to just be present with that. And when good times come, they're really very grateful for that. Mm. And when bad times come, you know, the saying is, uh, they're giving thanks for unknown blessings already on their way. Mm. So that's very beautiful when they learn that art of doing that. Such a lesson for all of us.
2: We
0: rely so much on things. And we rely so much on conditions being favorable so we can feel good. Yes. And so when things go well in our lives, we're okay. When things don't go so well, then we're not okay and then we suffer. And all spiritual traditions talk about a space of awareness Mm -hmm. that's very much like the one you're describing, almost naturally occurring. In the people in the country in which you were born. And that is, there are going to be ups and downs. There are going to be times of destruction and there are going to be times of creation. And if one ties one's state of being to those conditions, then one is
1: condemned to sometimes being miserable and sometimes being okay. True. That is why we always stress so much, uh, Brother Ted, and we know we do that with Don all the time. This inner work is so critical. Like the Buddhists say, can you do the inner work so that you can be in the center of the wheel? The wheel goes up, the wheel goes down, that's life. But if you're in the center of the wheel, as Buddhists would say, have a sense of equanimity. In Islam, you're in a state of surrender to God, something higher than personality. Then you'll have that sense of freedom.
0: Now, it's interesting that you're talking about Buddhist tradition, because um, in uh, Brother Don's absence, we have brought in a third party to our conversation. And we've got Sybil Lundy with us, who is a practicing and a teaching Buddhist. And perhaps, Jamal, you could introduce Sybil a little more fully.
1: Yes, uh, I'm very proud to say that Sybil Lundy is a very uh, respected member of our congregation, Interfaith Community Church. She's a Zen Buddhist, and she's uh, been a past president of the Interfaith Council of the State of Washington for five years, am I right, Sibyl? And uh, she has been a practicing chaplain also for many years in Swedish, in St. Stephen's, She's, as I said, highly credentialed. She got her master's from Merrill Hurst in applying interfaith to chaplaincy work, if I remember. Mm -hmm. And currently she's a counselor of bereavement in St. Francis. Mm -hmm. Welcome.
3: Thank you. I'm just thrilled to be here. This is wonderful. Okay.
0: I was actually reading part of your master's Thesis. Oh, really? Today, since you and I have met, but we don't know each other very well, right. so I, the internet is this wonderful tool, and there is your thesis talking about uh, the group you set up to look at grieving and uh, uh, feelings of grief in corporate structures.
3: Right. Yeah. There's a lot of suffering that goes on in the corporate world, <clears throat> unacknowledged suffering.
0: Yeah. Not only confronting losses due to people's individual lives, you know, deaths that may have occurred or confronting deaths of coworkers, but also loss of jobs Mm -hmm. and loss of status. Mm -hmm. All of those creating circumstances that are opportunities either for growing or for once again stifling down the feelings we're having and making our growth very difficult. Right. So it was uh, extremely interesting work. And, uh, and you do, what are you doing right now?
3: Well, I do work in the corporate world um, at, as a writer. And then I'm also doing the bereavement work, the uh, bereavement counseling work that I do at St. Francis hmm. Hospital in Federal Way. And I've got a couple of bereavement groups there. Actually, one there and one at the Interfaith Church at this point.
1: Yes. So,
3: Great. Yeah. So nothing at work that I'm doing right now. There were some massive layoffs where I work a few years ago, uh-huh. which is where that thesis came from. Right. So I actually did a couple of bereavement groups there and some classes, you know, how to deal with loss hmm. in the
1: workplace. So were you actually teaching in the corporations some practices yes. to deal with the losses?
3: Yes. Yeah.
1: It, uh, was it, it based on Buddhist philosophy or just a general spiritual? Philosophy well, just be- all traditions.
3: because I'm a Buddhist, uh-huh. it was um, based on Buddhism, I but see. I couldn't actually say that, you know, so it was more like relaxation mm-hmm. and centering kind of practices.
1: I see, I see. Yeah. Well, we'll come back to that very soon.
0: We'll come back to that, and we will also look at how your Buddhist tradition supports and infuses your th- work, both theoretically and practically, right. looking at suffering and looking at the process of grieving. Um, for those of you who just tuned in, you are listening to Interfaith Talk Radio on 11:50 a.m. We're about to take a break. Uh, please give an ear to our sponsors because they allow our voices to come to you every week. We'll be right back.
2: Northwest Interfaith Community Outreach traces its history to the first anniversary of 9-11. Committed to promoting interfaith dialogue and understanding, its purpose is captured in its mission statement. Celebrating spirit through interfaith collaboration and compassionate works of justice in the world. For information on how to get involved, go to interfaithtalkradio.com and click on NICO. NICO. Hey, Julie, where have you been? Benny,
4: I just returned from a fabulous seminar with Karen Ramsey, learning about how my relationship to money is holding me back from living the life I want.
5: Well, I can't seem to save enough money to contribute to an IRA these days, but I think, you know, it's just too late to start now.
4: Well, Benny, I see that you just bought yourself a latte this morning, and how many times a day do you do that?
5: Uh, well, I'd say like two or three times a day, but I mean, seriously, what's your point, Julie?
4: If you save the money you spend on just one latte a day, you'd easily be able to contribute $1,400 a year to your IRA. No
5: kidding. Huh, I never thought about it that way.
4: Well, Karen Ramsey says it's never too late to start, no matter where you are. And the sooner you start, the better.
5: Well, you know, that's fine with people with money, but how can someone like me afford financial advice from someone like Karen Ramsey?
4: Well, you don't need to be wealthy to get excellent financial advice. In fact, why not tune into her new show beginning October 12th and learn about the myths about money that keep us from living the lives we're meant to live. And visit her on the web at caringmoney.com. That's caring money.com okay everyone
5: listen up dr pat brings you her favorite organic wines from the organic wine company direct to you for this limited time special offer would you like to enjoy the luscious taste of natural grapes grown with love for the land and tantalizing your taste buds at the same time Well, Dr. Pat has selected three of her favorite wines for only $49, a 40% savings. Visit www.thedrpatshow.com and click on Dr. Pat's Picks for this special offer. Or you can call 1-888-326-9463. You don't have to be a monk living in a monastery and meditating daily to understand that you are truly a divine spiritual being. Be one of the first to experience this breakthrough workshop with Dr. Pat Vasili. Street Smart Spirituality, the three secrets to living life full out. Join our very own Dr. Pat on November 11th or November 12th at The Gathering in the Linwood Convention Center as she joins Dan Millman and others for this transformative weekend. Dr. Pat will introduce you to the power of busting through the crust and the importance of being direct and clear. Street Smart when you're connecting to the energy of the universe. Are you ready to live life full out? Well, then this workshop is for you. Select this as one of your five workshops when you sign up for this weekend. Visit www.thegathering.cc or call 206-255-2500 to register now. That's www.thegathering.cc or call 206-255-2500.
0: Lewis and Clark would be proud. We're exploring new territory on the air every day right here on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. And welcome back. This is Interfaith Talk Radio. I'm Rabbi Ted Falcon, here today with Brother Jamal Rahman and Sibyl Lundy, our guest, who is enlivening our conversation, talking about the Buddhist tradition, particularly as it relates to suffering and grief. And before we continue our conversation, I would like to share a few words about Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue, where authentic spiritual traditions support a universal spiritual awareness. No matter what your background, you may find inspiration as we celebrate together. The Beit Olive experience includes song, meditation, and a meditative approach to worship and ritual. It's a place dedicated to your spiritual evolution, and we invite you to share with us to find out more at www.JewishSpiritualCommunity.com. JewishSpiritualCommunity.com. We send people there because it's almost impossible to spell org <laughs> over the radio. Uh, but you'll see how it's spelled when you go to Jewish Spiritual Community. So here we are back with Sybil and Brother Jamal. And Sybil, perhaps we could kind of take a step back and talk about some of the basic beliefs... Uh, about Buddhism and how they relate to the issue of suffering
3: <clears throat> sure um, so Buddhism you know has four noble truths to it, which are sort of the basic teachings, the basic study, and the first noble truth is the truth of suffering, and so it it is the basis of all of Buddhist practice is looking at suffering and know as you two were talking uh, as we started the show um, it's true as Americans as Westerners suffering is not a big part of our vocabulary our lives are comfortable you know we're thinking about how to progress get more stuff have a better life and um, we don't want to think about suffering and but it is it is a basic fact you take on a body and you take on suffering and so that is the basic first truth of buddhism uh the second
0: uh so suffering is not something to be resisted no and it's not something to be denied no but it is
3: it's to be expected
0: right it is simply part of the human condition
3: yes and there's nothing wrong with you if you right. suffer it's right. not that you've done something wrong that you're not uh, it's really
0: crucial because a lot of us are taught either to hide our suffering right to pretend we're not suffering
1: or to somehow take blame for it. Right. There's nothing like blaming the victim. That's true. I'd like okay. to interject and say one more one thing, Sybil, yes. which really struck me about what the Buddha said, uh, because many people assume that uh, suffering is absolutely inevitable. And Buddha, in a sense, said, uh, yes, you know, there is going to be suffering, but the universe does not want us to suffer. We suffer because we lack some development.
3: Right. That, I think that's an important point, and that's why I, I think a lot of people who don't know a lot about Buddhism think, well, it's sort of a downer philosophy. It's about suffering, right? Well, it, I think the idea is more when you're suffering, suffer. When you're not suffering, there's joy, and be willing to enter into that joy also, and joy is a part of of
0: the human experiences. And also, in our unhappiness, we are more likely to inquire about the meaning of life than we are in our happiness. Mm -hmm. You know, I often joke when I look back at my old journals, that i had this problem again and again and again and then all of a sudden i disappeared for long periods of time because when i was feeling good i stopped writing in the journal and then i would appear months or even a year or so later suddenly upset and uh... feeling depressed again
3: right and i think that affects our connection with the divine whatever if you want to call it god Whatever the divine is to us, if life now, is going fine. in Buddhist tradition,
0: you wouldn't use the word God.
3: No, no, we would not. And uh, and uh, I was kind of stumped, what is the word in Buddhist tradition? And there really isn't. You know, it's more equanimity, I think, mm-hmm. if our equanimity is mm-hmm. upset. Right. Um, but that is what encourages us to go to something bigger than us, is right. when things are not
1: going well. Well, by the same token, I also want to say, uh, the insight in Buddhism, as also in uh, Islamic spirituality, in Judaism, all the other traditions, the insight is that it doesn't mean that you run towards suffering because it has wonderful lessons, just don't run away from it.
3: Right. And and my personal experience is if you run away from it, it tends to follow you. Right. Where if you'll sit with it and be in the moment and kind of hold yourself in your lap as you mm-hmm. suffer, <laughs> it passes much more quickly and mm-hmm. you can move on to whatever the next right. thing
0: is. Yeah, and there are probably ascetic. Kinds of practices in all traditions that, in fact, do our choices of a certain kind of suffering Mm -hmm. in order to focus more clearly. And they might not be practices that we'd choose, but in some ways, even fasting Mm -hmm. is a Mm -hmm. kind of suffering that is chosen in order to experience. You know, a greater appreciation.
1: And the the truth also is that this is a world of duality. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, as my my favorite sage, uh, the 13th century Rumi says, you know, God turns you from one feeling to another. So you might have two wings to fly, not one.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So in in that sense, it is inevitable. I will really experience the the fullness of joy uh, if I also allow myself to experience the fullness of suffering
3: right Right. exactly well it's interesting too you know you're talking about the suffering as part of the the path as part of the tradition one of the things that Zen Buddhists um you know are always thinking about is when you're sitting on a cushion you know there are some real painful moments you know your knees hurt your back hurts Mm -hmm. you are um you know at a Sashin you could be sitting for five or six days in a row ten hours a day but that pain really does help, or discomfort, it's not mm-hmm. always pain. But the discomfort helps you focus your mind. And it is one of the ways that we focus is to come back to the breath and relax into whatever's happening. Right. And it's the practice there that then you can take into your life.
0: Right. So so, so far we've dealt with the first of four noble <laughs> truths. That was an important one, very important yes. one. Yes, and
3: that is the
6: basis yes, of the I truth. Suffering.
3: And then the second one is... Um, that let me check here the um the origin of suffering so what causes suffering and that is that we are it's our attachment and as you were talking about the people in bangladesh they are not attached to the weather conditions they're not attached to some of the things we are attached to as westerners they have a lot of surrender that happens in their lives and it's that attachment that keeps us stuck and
1: keeps us suffering there's something that uh, we talk a lot on this um, show that we get stuck and attached to form Mm -hmm. rather than essence Mm -hmm. and -hmm. of course as you as you have been hinting if we get attached to form then of course we know that form is impermanent
6: exactly And when
1: that changes then we suffer right and we suffer deeply
3: yes yeah and so then the third one is that there is a little more hopeful, that there actually can be a cessation of suffering. There are ways to alleviate suffering as we are, go through our lives. And then the fourth one is the Eightfold Noble Path that the Buddha came up with as the practice. There are eight different um, areas of mind training and that, that you, know, you can follow. And if you follow this path, you will suffer less in life.
0: So the Eightfold Noble Path is the Fourth Noble Truth? Is the
3: Fourth Noble Truth,
1: yes. Because I'm keeping track of these. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Do you remember, uh, Brother Ted, uh, when we were having a uh, a TV interview, me, you, and Rodney Romney, and a question was asked, besides your own religion, if you had a choice, which is the other religion you would really say you are very Uh fond of? And amazingly, each one of us said Buddhism. Really? (laughs) It's true, yeah.
3: Well, and what I really like about Buddhism is you can be a Buddhist Mm -hmm. and any other tradition that you choose. You know, there is no prohibition of, you know, this is the one path, there's only one way to go.
0: Often, at least in my experience both personally as well as uh, watching others, often we awaken to the depths, the deeper aspects of our own tradition through another that's true. You know, so when I first entered the world of meditation, which was the late 1960s, early 1970s, it was through Zen, Buddhist, and Hindu traditions. Oh. And uh, people like Alan Watts and Ram Dass were my teachers. Right, right. And at a certain point, I became so aware of the richness of of the meditative experience and the possibilities of human consciousness that I thought this must be part of Judaism Hmm. and if it's not I'm not sure I want to stay with Judaism Mm -hmm. like this is just too important Right. and of course as I looked into Jewish tradition in uh, and asked questions that I'd never asked before even though I was already a rabbi um, I found texts that I didn't know existed Mm. and a richness of meditative teaching and spiritual teaching. But I don't think I ever would have gotten there had I not had the gift uh, that I received from those other traditions. And I think we do that for each other. You know, we make available the richness of our paths, not to convince another or not to convert another but to urge another as brother Jamal would say toward their own completion Mm -hmm. the and help them discover
1: the deeper elements within their own traditions Right. our mantra is not about interfaith is not about conversion it's about completion becoming a more complete authentic human being Mm. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Interfaith Talk Radio we're about to
0: take another break Please remember our phone numbers if any questions occur to you. We are at 425 373 5527. Brother Jamal and I are enjoying ourselves talking to Sybil Lundy, and we'll be right back.
3: The Rocky Mountain Mystery School is here to open the doors for all who seek greater empowerment and meaning in life. It holds and teaches the keys to hidden knowledge, wisdom and tools of power of the ages. We offer ancient teachings for modern times to all true seekers and will be in Seattle November the 8th through the 12th to bring these tools to you. Go to MysterySchoolNorthwest.com for more information. That's MysterySchoolNorthwest.com
6: from stress, headaches, back pain, digestive pain, or other chronic problems? Allow Sue Woodward to help you realize the vitality and wholeness your body naturally wants to express using gentle, restorative methods. Sue invites you to call her at the Acupuncture and Healing Arts Clinic for a free consultation. 425-451-8129. That's 425-451-8129. of Bellevue is an inclusive community for spiritual growth, where all are valued, where positive attitudes are developed, where spiritual
3: laws of life are taught, where consciousness is cultivated, where self-awareness is enhanced, and where the bonds of fellowship are enriched. Join us for our Sunday celebrations on Bellevue's East Side. Visit our website at www.unityofbellevue.org.
2: people who come to a Unity Church feel like they've come home. We invite you to one of the many great Puget Sound Unity Churches in Bellevue, Edgewood, Kent, Linwood, Seattle or Woodinville. For links to these Unity Churches and others, visit unity.org. We welcome you to join us at Unity of Woodinville. Visit unityofwoodinville.org.
0: Forget their space and come check out our space on the web, 1150kknw.com, and find out about Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And this is Rabbi Ted Falcon with you on Interfaith Talk Radio. Uh, Sitting with Brother Jamal Rahman... Pastor Don McKenzie is on a retreat with his co-ministers this week. Brother Jamal and I are sitting with Sybil Lundy talking about how Buddhist tradition infuses her work with uh, helping people deal with grief. So we talked about the Four Noble Truths and you hinted at the Eightfold noble path
3: right um and i could just go through that very quickly it's about living right basically it is um right view so how you perceive what's going on and all of these of course are to alleviate suffering Mm -hmm. so you know right view looking at a situation make sure you have the right um the well, right. I hate to use that word, but the right perception of what's going on. Um, right thinking. Clarity. Clarity is good. Um, right thinking. Um, and that has to do with mindfulness. And again, clarity. Um, right action. So once you do see the, the the correct thing, the true thing to do in a situation, you actually do it. Um, right mindfulness. And mindfulness has a lot to do with meditation practice is returning to the present moment, right where we are, the state that we're in. Right. A lot so. of
0: people, a lot of people get confused about meditation. So they'll, we'll, we'll sit, we'll be silent, and they'll say, "I can't meditate." And I'll say, "Well, what happens?" And they'll say, "Well, I sit, and all of a sudden, I'm aware that I'm talking to myself right. in my mind, and I'm just, I can't get." And I say to them, "Ah, you're meditating."
3: Yes, I've actually heard people say okay we're going to meditate we're going to stop our thoughts there's no way to stop your thoughts and if you try they come faster so yeah and so it's just coming back coming back right to where we are uh... right speech has to do with very deeply being present with Mm -hmm. the person you're talking to and then um, being compassionate, hearing what they're really saying, and then being in your heart with them. Mm-hmm. Um, right effort, and that has to do with actually applying yourself, you know, the energy that you use to stay on this path. Um, right concentration, again, is mindfulness and doing that mindfulness practice and actually doing it. And then the, the eighth one is right livelihood. So not making your living by causing suffering to animals or humans. Or
0: That's great. Like that. Beautiful. Yeah. It's a great segue for me to talk a little bit about sponsorship. Great. great. Right livelihood. Perhaps some people would like to share their right livelihood by uh, helping to support this show for uh, being on the air we actually are s- just looking for one more sponsor for this next segment of our experience on the air we invite those of you who are listening who who might think you'd benefit from having your services promoted on this show because you get a sense that there people who are listening the people who are sharing this are very much like you and would be interested in the kinds of things you offer and you can be on this show with us and you can be on the website with us so the best way to get in touch with us is at interfaithtalkradio.com
1: beautiful you know Sybil, i was um, uh, of course very fascinated by the eightfold uh path Mm -hmm. and uh, in my study of buddhism what has really um splashed in my chest is also a right community Mm -hmm. which it is said is so important that it comes in a separate category
6: yes yeah and
1: i love the buddha's words when he says that find friends who love the truth yes and this more than anything else uh is really going to determine the the fiber of your being and the pace of your enlightenment.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, those are the three jewels that you're Uh talking about. The Buddha, Uh the Dharma, which is the path through life, and the Sangha, which is the community of people that you practice with. And, yeah, there's no better way, I think, to kind of get the rough edges um, worked off of yourself than being in community and actually going through hard things with a group of people, you know, and coming to joy on the other side of it.
0: Relationship. Sometimes appears as the yoga of the West.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, the place where we discover union is in a context in which the barriers to that union are brought out most sharply. Right. It's like you want to know what your difficulties are? Get into a relationship. Get into a community. People think you get into a community and everything goes sweetly and everything goes well. But community is for... A kind of awakening, and mm-hmm. through that awakening, a joy is
1: experienced, which is just beyond words, and how powerful and how beautiful to have uh, what the Buddha has said and all the other traditions say uh, to really have authentic community yes, I mean yeah. it's wonderful to be compassionate with everybody but when it comes to what uh, you know Muslims call your circle of love, to really be discerning mm-hmm. and really have members of your family or members of, from your um, friend' circle. But those who really love the truth and be an authentic community. And of course, you, you, as you said brother the TED, you grow from that mm-hmm. uh, deeply, fully. And essentially in Sufism we say you're coming out of the circle of time and entering the circle of love. That's, That's, yeah. I
0: was just going to say, this is one of our intentions as our own little interfaith group where yes. Pastor Don and Brother Jamal and I have been meeting now over the past five years. That's right, yes. Um, doing spiritual direction with each other, kind of encountering some of the difficulties. I mean, at least Don and I have difficulties. Jamal... Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I'm the always levity. Yes. You know, and am really enjoying uh-huh. each other's company and learning in that
1: context of community. Right, right. It's the only way, really, as, as we have discussed, interfaith, uh, among other things, besides being involved in... Communal uh, effort of the hands in service is also really about getting to know one another mm-hmm. in a very heartfelt, personal way without any agenda. That to us seems to be the key.
3: Right. Yeah. Well, and it's easy to, <clears throat> excuse me, to read about it, to talk about it, but to actually do it, to actually have that direct experience of being with other people and trying to solve a problem. Or
0: this is really one of the. Incredible things that I've discovered over the years in working with people who are in bereavement uh, in working with people who are undergoing a grief experience, because it's right there. Yes. And it can be incredibly heavy. It can sometimes feel heavier than a person can bear. But Mm -hmm. in that moment is such possibility Mm -hmm. for transcendence and for healing. And for the recognition of wholeness. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how your uh, Buddhist focus helps in the process of grieving and healing.
3: Yes. Um, well, I think mindfulness, you know, which is a very basic Buddhist practice, is about being with what's happening and one thing I do see with people who are grieving and I've experienced this myself is that it's very painful there are waves of grief Mm -hmm. we talk about the waves of grief that come you know you some some moment or experience just causes tremendous pain and then for a day or so later you're afraid another wave is gonna come So, so we, I try to teach the people that I work with to be in the moment of not grieving as well. Right. And not to, and so that's the, the direct experience idea. Instead of piling these thoughts on top of dreading and it was so awful and it's going to happen again, just let that go. Right. You know, just let it...
0: Yeah, in the Jewish experience, there are stages of grief that a family right. goes through. So the mourners traditionally will sit at home for a week the first week after the burial mm-hmm. and they'll be visited and friends and neighbors will come in mm-hmm. they'll bring food and they will be present and one of the rules traditionally is you don't you don't speak until the mourner speaks okay. and the purpose of that was you wait to see what What frame, what space the mourner is in at that moment? So you don't push somebody Mm -hmm. into either just talking about the weather or going into a grief work. You wait and see, and wherever the person is, whatever the the individual wants to talk about, your job is to be a container for that Uh and to meet Uh that person on that level. And one of the fascinating things, and I'm sure everyone who has this experience knows it, is that you'll go through a moment of intense you know with intensity of grief and tears and sorrow and sadness and then all of a sudden everybody will be laughing together right, right, and they're mind. both true they're both absolutely true one does not deny the other and um, and that that needs to be supported
3: well and that practice gives the grieving person space to actually grieve Right. one of the biggest complaints i hear from people in my groups is that people are so uncomfortable with their pain that they're trying to rush them through. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want them to sit there and cry because it's uncomfortable right. for the viewer, right. you know, which is not helpful for the person who's grieving. We do the same thing when people are in depression. Yes.
0: Are you still, yeah. un- you're still depressed? Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, aren't you over that
3: yet? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, two weeks later, you know, aren't you, can you move along now? You right. know, we're getting tired right. of you doing right. this. Exactly. Well, it's not about the people being tired of it. It's about you and your
1: your process yes, right. and then there's a verse in the Quran and it applies to it inside in many traditions the word little by little to do this work little by little mm-hmm. of really owning your pain your sadness your suffering in this case depression right. and if you do it little by little it leads to a quantum jump yes. and back again to little by little the problem is we all want that quantum jump but not that little by little so really to support that little by little work of in a sense, kissing your pain. Right. And seeing it transform into a prince or princess, as right, they say. And right. the grief
0: work is, in a way, it's never finished. That's it, true. It changes over time. But you never know when another wave will come and how it will come. And I think what you're talking about, Sybil, is being present for the, whatever form it manifests in. Mm-hmm. And not thinking that, okay, now I'm done.
3: Right. Right. Well, and and not shutting yourself off to that... You don't want to forget the person that died. You know, that is not the purpose of grieving, you know, that you just forget it and go on it's just that your relationship with that person has changed and it's getting used to that and making peace with that yeah. mm-hmm. and still staying open to it. Yeah. So yeah.
1: I'd love to ask you maybe now or this next segment uh, what has drawn you to this work of bereavement maybe after this okay. uh, particular segment? Sure. Well but now we, we still have two minutes. What is I'll your start. story that has drawn you to bereavement? Well work?
3: I had a period in my life where Almost my entire family died within three years. So both my parents, my brother, grandmothers, grandfathers, aunts, uncles, almost everyone for some reason died. And I was about 35 at the time. It left myself and my two sisters just alone in the world and two of us had just gotten divorced through this whole process okay. and at the time I knew nothing about grieving mm-hmm. I knew nothing about bereavement and I decided I was just gonna run off and start a new life and just forget about it all and I never did my grief work until about five years later, I couldn't stop crying. It just all kept coming up. And I finally went to a counselor, went to a doctor, said, what is going on? And learned about, first of all, my own pain and my own grief and going through that. And there's a whole world of bereavement theory bereavement counselors techniques Mm -hmm. there's a grief cycle that people go through right thank you for
1: sharing
0: some of your some of your experience sounds very much like brother jamal's yes and perhaps you'll share that when we return thank you we're taking our last break on this evening's show and again please honor that which is offered through our sponsors this is interfaith talk radio and we'll be right back
5: Congregational United Church of Christ located at 4515 16th Avenue Northeast right across from the Burke Museum wants you to know that it is a liberal and inclusive congregation waiting to welcome you to worship, education, fellowship and service we need your help to say yes to God's purposes for more information log on to universityucc.org that's universityucc.org or call 206-524-2322 That's 206-524-2322.
4: Are you ready for the 12-minute Simone Zone miracle? Transform any self-defeating internal images into spectacular masterpieces of happiness and success in only 12 minutes. The Simone Zone is a revolutionary empowerment technique that uses cutting-edge audiovisual technology. Get ready to shift negative energy and change it to positive energy now. Visit TheSimoneZone.com and try this free technique that's
6: the church of christ wants you to know about the god is still speaking campaign a national effort to let everyone know that this denomination welcomes everyone no matter what to the worship of god and the service of the church we believe that god has much much more to tell us about the good news of the gospel of jesus and about what love can do to help us with this beautiful but troubled world to find out more log on to www.ucc.org index.php we wish you blessings for your life
5: are you ready to kick your life up a notch? Tired of just surviving? The award-winning Dr. Pat Show, Talk Radio to Thrive By, is your way to living the life you want without regrets, without limitations. This empowering, inspirational show with dynamic host Dr. Pat Basilli will leave you shouting, yes, I can. Dr. Pat is a master career and belief coach, dynamic seminar leader, and creator of Crust Busting. Listen to the Dr. Pat Show on AM 1150 KKNW, Monday through Friday, 11 to noon, and worldwide on WWW the thedoctorpatshow dot
0: Stay informed with news, traffic, and weather at the top of the hour weekdays on Alternative Talk eleven fifty a.m. And welcome back to Interfaith Talk Radio. We're talking today with Sybil Lundy, who is talking about Buddhist practices, specifically relating to issues of grieving. Brother Jamal Rahman of the Interfaith Community Church, and I am Rabbi Ted Falcon of Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue. Pastor Don McKenzie is at a retreat with his other uh, clergy at his church this week. Before we continue with our conversation, I would like to uh, let all of you who are listening know that you will have two opportunities to join us for uh, live doing this show with an audience uh, present on November 27th. November 27th, we're go- going to do two shows at the United Church of Christ, United Congregational uh, university Congregational United Church of Christ in the University District. Uh, information will be on our website, interfaithtalkradio.com. The first show we'll be doing will be taped at 3.30 in the afternoon, and then we will all be live together at 5 o'clock. So rather than taking phone calls on both of those shows, the audience members can participate in asking questions and we're really looking forward to being
1: there with live people. Like we did in Indralaya, we had a live audience in Indralaya in Oscar Island. That was great fun, I remember. All of us,
0: uh, Pastor Don and Brother Jamal and I are used to speaking to people rather than to microphones. Although (laughs) this uh, You know, microphones don't talk back, so I guess there are certain advantages. So, uh, at the end of the last segment of the show, Sybil was talking about some of the events in her life which opened up for her kind of like an invitation Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. explore the deeper aspects of the world of grief and of the healing for the management of grief and the healing of grief mm-hmm. and I had mentioned that brother Jamal's experience was not totally different.
1: Yes it was very similar actually and just in a different context um, which really shows the similarities Islam means to surrender to God right. but the Quran suggests that we really don't quite understand that until uh, at least one of two veils break the veils of health or wealth. In this case in my particular case uh, My mother died in 1991. In the space of 20 days, my father also died. Mm -hmm. So it was a very big shock and a lot of bereavement. But my point here is that at that time, at a heartfelt level, I began to ask uh, those questions. Why me? Mm -hmm. What is happening? Mm -hmm. And I need help. And from a Muslim perspective, that's when you really begin the process of surrendering. I need help, but from something and somebody higher than human personality or human institutions. Mm-hmm. That's when you become sort of the beginning of being a seeker on the road of surrendering. Right. I want to ask you a question on that note, uh, Sybil. Sure. Uh, you were born a Christian, a Lutheran, if I understand. Yes, that's true. And what drew you and led you to the path of Zen Buddhism?
3: Well, um, I I was a fairly, I was raised in a Lutheran church and was a fairly devout you know, for a young person, a fairly devout Lutheran, but I think um, there wasn't a mystical connection that I knew about. It was, you know, going to church and memorizing things, but I never had a direct connection with God that I remembered, and I sort of lost interest in it, and when I went to college, I started studying Hindu meditation and got that direct hit of the divine, which was really what I was missing and so I did some I learned about Hindu meditation and um, it was just through a teacher that was a teacher of a friend of our, of mine that was a Zen teacher that I just was really I felt that that was really the path that I needed to study that I just really drew me in all of the the simplicity I think because I was raised in the Lutheran Church which is very simple um, direct form you know scandinavian christianity the the a, a lot of lutheran churches look a lot like a zendo you know with the wood and the mm-hmm. real clean lines and so i was drawn to that but also um the past actual possibility of enlightenment mm-hmm. you know zen um when zen students go to a zen, uh, to a session you know, they they go with the expectation of being enlightened that weekend or that week. And, you know, it doesn't (laughs) happen very often, but the teacher continues to remind us if you work hard and if you do your practice, it actually can. Mm. And I think it's what you're talking about, the little bit, little bit, little bit, and then, boom, something big happens.
1: And then back again to little bit. bit.
3: And then you chop wood and carry water again.
0: (laughs) I remember one of the Zen teachings that impacted me just kind of cut through everything was the image, uh, it was called On Having No Head. I love that book. And there was something that happened to me in the yes. middle of encountering that when I realized in a way, way beyond what words can express, the no-headedness. <laughs> right. You know, I realized that I have a face for everyone but myself. Mm-hmm. When I look at my own face, it's either reversed in a mirror or it's after the fact in a camera. Right,
3: right. Um,
0: And the whole notion of that I'm looking at the world through two holes in my head is just ridiculous. I mean, that mm-hmm. is not at all the nature of my experience. Right. Nor do I have a back of the head. Mm. There's no back of the head.
3: No, not to you.
0: You know, sometimes I think that uh, I wear a kippah uh, uh he used to be called a yarmulke the uh little jewish hat and sometimes i think that reminds me that i'm inside a body huh you know to uh-huh. honor both the spiritual aspects of being as well as the physical aspects of being and to remind me of the part that i am blind to right right and there's always something i'm blind to
3: and that's that direct experience part. Yeah. You can read about it. You can hear someone talk about it. But to actually oh, once to you, have once it. Once you
0: break through, then you go, oh, it's like, it's like trying to teach somebody about love. Mm-hmm. And you can have poets. You can have books. You can have talk. And, oh, yes, I know what love is. And then people will have an experience of uh, meeting each other and that kind of closeness. And all of a sudden go, oh, mm-hmm. that. <laughs> and they'll, yes. and they'll, you know, we'll know, ah, that's what the word goes to. I knew the word. I mm-hmm. thought I knew what it meant. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it meant. Mm-hmm. And it teaches us all, I think, to be a little bit uh, tentative in all the things we think we understand. Right. right. <laughs> because it is very likely
1: that there's more to it than we have yet tasted. But you know, what I find most fascinating is you talked about not having an experience of the divine Uh but you found that in zen buddhism Uh which doesn't talk about god Uh which leads me to my point that really they they just call god by in my understanding god by different name Uh just like for example you know we think of atheists and agnostics not believing in god right i believe they can be the most spiritual people they just call god in the by the name of truth or justice Uh or compassion i heard ticnat han saying that to communicate we have to really say That Buddhists believe in God, they just call it Nirvana, Mm. that which is uncompounded, unborn, Mm -hmm. unmitigated, Mm -hmm. which really is our understanding of heaven or Godhead or Goddesshead also.
3: Right, interesting that you're saying this because I just I do am teaching a class on Buddhism at Merrillhurst, and that certainly came up is it a religion is it a philosophy and my opinion was that it's a philosophy because we don't talk about god it's about training your mind it's about how you look at reality but now that you say that the reason i'm training my mind is for that direct experience of whatever's greater
0: it's an experience of the whole it's an experience of the absolute interconnectedness of all being yeah it's uh what what we would call the the awakening to the one,
3: uh-huh. and when that happens, you realize why you're doing the practice, right. and you're willing to continue. Right. So it.
0: talking about practice, we have a couple of minutes, and uh, Sybil, uh, we'd wondered if you would quickly share some practice from your tradition, which our listeners might find helpful in their own process.
3: Sure. Um, there's a very simple Zen. Um, breathing practice that is basically you sit down you can sit on a cushion you can sit on a chair but you are sitting upright so it's better not to lie down but um, to sit up to be balanced in your body and comfortable and you are following your breath and in zen practice the beginning practice is to count your breaths to count up to one, I mean, up to ten, one to ten, and then start over again. And, which sounds pretty simple, but it's really difficult to get past three or four. Oh, that's great. And so the practice is, you find your mind going off, you bring it back. What number was I on? Right. And start over again. Right. And that's it.
1: Great. Wonderful. Yeah. <sighs> yes, I'm beginning to count already. <laughs> so between this week and next week,
0: Breathing and counting and feeling grateful for the wonderful experiences that we are able to share together. This is Interfaith Talk Radio, and we will see you next
4: week. Blessings.